0: Uh, this is in a bit of an experiment. So I have two weeks of CMCB perfectly planned out. One week is a topic where I just talk about that one thing for the entire thing. Quite often it's been pop culture stuff. Then the next week I do CMCB reads, currently about midway through reading a free online Amazon book. And then we have the third week before I take a week off to work on other projects. This is where I plan to experiment. And this is The first official one. I've actually done a thing called Randomitis before where I just read stuff off the internet. So I'm not 100% sure this is the format I'm going to keep. But the idea for the moment is that I just take a bunch of stuff that's been interesting to me, I go through it, hopefully it's interesting to you, maybe make a joke, I don't know. I'm a little torn because, again, it's a little freeform and that tends to work for a little bit and then falls apart. Uh, But... I was just going kind of thinking, yeah, random stuff is interesting. And that is primarily how we ingest the internet. So this is almost a digest of that stuff I have collected and saved over the last little while. Give it a little commentary, do my thing, overthink it. I I posted a thing on TikTok where I was analyzing, I don't know, I think it was the the, I forget what it was. But it was just like, again, I was going into deep on some very minor point. And some guy goes, I think you're overthinking this. And then my response was, dude, that's my whole deal. Like, that is honestly my form of entertainment. It's going too far. I still am playing with the idea of taking the first hundred of the now defunct Velosa podcast and redoing them. And so that would be a lot of episodes, a lot of content. But now I've been doing podcasting for about five years. I have a better sense of myself. I'm more comfortable. I can do it more sort of free form. It should be better. And I think there's a lot of those things that didn't get the attention I think they deserve. So, but let's try this today. If you have opinions or feedback, I actually would be really interested in what you have to say. And then I don't know how to transition. I should, I'm not going to use a transition sound. A lot of the... When I do Ninja News Japan, each story has a transition sound. I'm not going to do that. I'm just kind of go from one to the next. I know a guy who used to listen to podcast. He liked transition sounds. And I, I, I don't know. Anyways, I've made it very clear. I think I'm not 100% sure that this is going to work out. But I'm hoping to move forward. The Olympics... I think they're still happening. I'm not 100% sure. I don't read about them. I'm less interested in the Winter Olympics than the Olympics. I am much more interested in the Summer Olympics only because it has judo, and that is something I would watch. I usually don't. I kind of watch highlights, and I'm pretty much done. I don't really have a... I'm not invested in the Olympics. I don't really like watching sports. I think playing them is more fun than watching them. But I like highlights. Highlights are the best parts. But every Olympics has a mascot. Now, there has been a controversy with uh, Bing Dwen Dwen, which is the panda that has been chosen as the Beijing 2022 Winter Olympics mascot. Now, there's an interesting thing. It's it's a little panda. Uh, He's got like a plastic suit on, which I believe is sort of his coronavirus protection. I didn't look too much into it. The issue suddenly came up. This became a news story when one of the Chinese athletes was talking to Bing Dwen Dwen. And then Bing Dwen Dwen answered. Now, I think the fact that it was so cute gave the impression that Bing Dwen Dwen would have a cute voice. So on the screen now, you can see there's just some uh, official guy, maybe a reporter or something. He's with Bing Dwen Dwen, and they're talking to an athlete. People assumed that Bing Duen Duen would have a cute voice, like basically a high, squeaky voice. And then this is what they got instead. So Bing Duen Duen, uh, it was actually him talking to a female athlete, so the sort of more female voice is the athlete. And the more male-sounding voice was the mascot, the cute, very rotund panda. And this became a controversy on the internet because they referred to it as a gruff, deep voice of an uncle, basically an older man, and that this was not acceptable because it was a cute character. Now, that in itself is only vaguely interesting. So they had someone in the suit and they're like, we're going to do an interview. We need you, whoever's in the suit, because it's not one guy in the suit. They put the suit on multiple people. I'm going to ruin the Mandalorian for you just now, and probably Boba Fett. It's not just one guy in the suit the whole time they swap out people for a man and other people. They've actually come out and said, Pedro Pascal, man, he barely shows up. It's just some other guy in the suit who walks around and looks at things, and then they put Pedro's voice in there. It goes through a voice box. It might not even be him. He's just getting the money, so he has names attached to it. So there's a bunch of people, and this one probably was an adult male, and they're like, you're going to ask a couple questions to this athlete, or answer some questions about being uh Ping Dwen Dwen, and you pick it's a cute interview, everyone's happy. Well, no, because the voice didn't match people's expectations, and people's expectations are always more important than anything else, so they were unhappy, displeased, and this was not acceptable. That's when I started learning something. It's that The Olympic Committee, the IOC, the International Olympic Committee, has actually made uh, an edict that Olympic mascots cannot speak. So all the Olympic mascots in the past do not have a voice or should not have a voice. So maybe they were given a voice after or before, or when they did, they're actually breaking the rules of the IOC. So the fact that you heard a voice was problematic. The fact that you heard a voice that was male was not the problem. Yeah, so then we have the Lin Zhen, Beijing 2022 art director. She said, we strictly obeyed the rule. The mascot character should not have a speaking voice. So the person in that, oh, and it can't talk. I'm just going to get through all the subtitles really quick. But it can make squeaky sounds. This is the rule and requirement made by the IOC, the International Olympic Committee. And the Beijing Organizing Committee for the Olympic Games follows this rule for sure. So really, what we have is the person in the suit was asked to do an interview with an athlete. They did the interview with the athlete. They tried their best, but they had to say something. So they said something. And now I actually bet, ironically, that person is in trouble. For doing the thing they were asked to do in the moment... But breaking the rules, that's actually probably caused them a lot of trouble. I bet they're not in the suit anymore. I bet they're not allowed to be in the suit. This being China, I I actually have legitimate concerns that they would be able to be employed and stuff from that point on. Because someone had to get punished. And I'm betting it was the person in the suit. Not the guy sitting next to him who probably told him to ask the question. And I'm actually betting the people in the suit were about as well-informed as I was about the rules. Like, I didn't know that Olympic mascots weren't allowed to have a voice. Uh, that is a very weird rule, but I guess it actually makes sense because if as soon as they have a voice, you have to choose which voice. Do they speak English? Do they speak Chinese? Do they speak Japanese? Does it depend on the country that's hosting the Olympics? Is that exclusive? Is it inclusive? All those problems come up right away, so it actually makes a lot of sense. You just have them say nothing which is a very sort of international committee solution to a problem. Which led me on to sounds in general. So I was thinking about sounds in movies, and one of the things that came up was uh, the velociraptor noises in Jurassic Park. Not a movie I am particularly engaged in. I don't really have a thing for dinosaurs like some people. I do enjoy the movies, but I never watch them twice. I'm not that into them. Uh, But we actually have no real understanding of what a dinosaur sounds like, except for things that maybe are kind of still alive dinosaurs. You would have crocodiles and a turtle or tortoise. um, And then you're actually starting to run thin on like iguanas, maybe. Things that kind of fit the same reptilian ancient feeling that a dinosaur would have. So what sounds do they make? So here is a sound from Jurassic Park. So that was the call. That was a velociraptor calling out to other velociraptors. And I was like, huh, that's actually pretty cool. It sounds, you know, it, it seems realistic. And this is throughout the whole movie. They're making these calls, calling to each other, coordinating their hunt, which is where you get the appreciation for how smart they are because they're able to communicate. And that communication shows a higher level of thought. And this is impressive, and we care about that. Uh, And then you find out that the noises are very similar to this. Now, if you took that and just sped it up a bit, uh, it would actually sound very similar. And then, he, of course, that same animal can make different sounds. But what you just heard was a tortoise having sexual intercourse. Come on, buddy. There you go. There's something that needs to go on That's right. So uh, that's it. So what they do is they took tortoise sounds. It's so not necessarily sex sounds. It was just funny because if you took that sound and sped it up a bit so it wasn't, Oh, and made it faster. It'd be ah oh, ah oh, like the call from the Velociraptor in the movie. Uh, there you have the sounds or how they made it, which is interesting because one of the things I learned when I was a kid uh, in Star Wars, the laser sound—not lasers—the phaser blaster sound, the pew pew, which is iconic to me because I mean I learned it when I was a little kid. Pew pew. That was done by taking a a wrench or a spanner and then hitting on a tension wire that was holding up like a telephone pole. So they just dinged that and recorded it and it was a pew, pew. That was the sound that you got. Sounded perfect. Uh, Of course, they did some modulation and stuff. This is the kind of thing they do. It's really interesting to find out where these sounds come from. The sound of almost every frog in every movie is just one kind of frog, I believe, from uh, the Los Angeles area. So, of course, back in the, like, 40s or 50s when they started having sound movies they needed definite sounds they kept a store of them because you don't want to go out and be like accuracy is important but also it might be not worth it because if we're supposed to be in the bayou you don't want to drive across the country and record a frog from the bayou for that authenticity when you just take the sound of a frog locally and stick that in your movie as foley that solves the problem you have a frog sound so they did that for years and years and years so now our impression of essentially all frog sounds, or pretty much all frog sounds in film, actually is just one frog, one kind of frog from California. Uh, And that led me to something I had remembered, which was eagle sounds. Now, eagle sounds in movies, uh, commercials, things like that, tend to sound like this. Now, if you are a Canadian, like I am, and you lived on the West Coast, as I did for many years, I went to university in Vancouver, I lived on uh, Victoria, Vancouver Island in Victoria with my parents for a while, I spent about a decade living in that area. There's actually a lot of bald eagles, ironically, there are a ton of bald eagles in Canada. Uh, They don't care about borders, they're not quite as loyal to America as America thinks. But... Uh, This goes along with me having just watched Peacemaker, where eagle actually plays a fairly seminal role. I have heard actual eagle sounds in the wild. And that is not what they sound like. And my best impression of an eagle would be, go listen to a seagull. And it sounds something like this. Let me make sure I get the right one. which is not quite as inspiring or as impressive as the bald eagle sound that has been manufactured for it. And it would make it very interesting the first time you were like an American who'd grown up with that sound and it was representative of something to you, of freedom and independence in your country. And then you actually see a bald eagle, a bald eagle and it starts screeching at you like a seagull that you might feel a moment of disappointment. And if you are an American who's made it this far to this podcast and not known that, I'm sorry, because uh, that is the actual sound of a bald eagle. Now then, things got kind of (laughs) dark. I don't know why, but I'd read something earlier about the last time the guillotine was used. So I'd read an unrelated thing, and it was when the guillotine was invented. This is a big jump from basically sounds to public executions, (laughs) but they made a sound too. And it was not the sound you think it was. How about that? There's my segue. Uh, I've thrown myself off. When the guillotine was invented, if you were to be executed by the guillotine, you knew there was no escape from this. You actually, there would be kerfuffles to see who could go first. Because whoever went first, what would actually happen is they would execute multiple people in one day. So if you were the first person, the edge on the blade of the guillotine would come down, it would be very sharp, and it would cut your head off in one go. Therefore, uh, success. If you were 10th, 15th, 20th in that day, it's already cut off multiple heads, gone through the neck, which has got your spine in it, which is going to make the blade dull. Which meant by the end of the process, by the end of the day, it wouldn't cleanly cut off your head in one go. So they might actually have to do it two or three times to actually cut off your head. So the, we have this impression that actually it was probably more the velocity of the guillotine or the razor sharpness of it is what cut off your head. It was actually the sharpness more than the uh, gravity effect of it dropping down on you. And that is disturbing to think about. Because if you're going to be executed, you certainly don't want it to take two or three shots for them to cut off your head. That is a, a big problem. And that actually had me had thinking about the uh, executions in Japan. So if you were supposed to commit uh, sort of traditional suicide where you, you cut your stomach open, if you were unable to finish or started to, like, waver, if you had a friend, he would cut off your head, but the most respectable way to do it or the most respected was to cut your head almost all the way off so it was flopping forward but still connected Um, and that was more honorable it also showed the skill of the swordsman if you cut it all the way off that actually was seen as a bit of an insult that's completely unrelated but it's also again kind of why the randomitis internet uh, experiment is happening right now to see how much I want to put into each thing then I'm thinking about the guillotine for a bit and then I was like, I wonder when the last time the guillotine was used. And I was like, I know it was relatively recently in the annals of history. <laughs> okay, uh, now I'm more interested. I thought you were just trolling me with something. Tank facts. I will give you one before I go back to the guillotine. In Russia, they trained dogs to run under uh, tanks. So what they were planning to do is we're going to strap dynamite to the back of these dogs. Because they had trained the dogs on their tanks, when the dogs saw two tanks, one that was Soviet and one that was, I assume, Nazi at that point, uh, they would run to the one they recognized, the one they'd been trained on, the Soviet one. It had a, a 90 plus percent fail rate. It basically didn't work because you gotta train them on the thing they're actually going to be doing, not the thing, that, not the thing conceptually, because dogs don't work conceptually, uh, like my dog in the back right there. He doesn't work on concepts, he works on facts. But the guillotine, I was at, uh, when the guillotine was last used, and it turns out I knew it was not very long previously but I didn't realize it was this recent. Uh, The the last time the guillotine was used was actually in September 1977. September 1977, I was five years old. So the last time the guillotine was used in France to execute someone was in my lifetime, which I, at first, was like, that is shockingly terrifying, that something we consider really barbaric and ancient is used in essentially modern society. Then I took a moment and thought, Where am I now? I'm in Japan. They still do public executions in Japan. It's not public, but they do uh, capital punishment, so they do executions in Japan. And they still hang people. It's not by lethal injection. It's not by... In China, I know they they shoot people. In Japan, it's actually still done by hanging, which is, again, pretty barbaric, but that is where we are. Uh, So then, of course, I couldn't just let it go. I had to find some other facts about the guillotine, Uh, It only officially came to an end in France in 1981. So it was basically less than five, six years later, the last time it was used, France was like, you know what, we're not going to use the guillotine anymore. And more importantly, actually at that point they said, we're not going to do capital punishment anymore. So now if you commit a crime in France, you will not be executed, you'll just get life in prison. I don't know if I 100% agree with you. You're saying, okay, so on chat it says, France is the most barbaric country in Europe. They did horrible crimes against people from the countries they occupied. I think that is actually true of every country. I don't, I have now lived in a bunch of countries. I've lived in Korea, I've lived in Japan, I've lived in a couple countries in Europe, I've lived in the UK, I've lived in Canada. And I've vaguely gone through the history of most of those countries and their neighbors. And I haven't really found, if you go historically, an occupying nation that was kind to the people they were occupying. An interesting side fact about Genghis Khan. Genghis Khan is known for killing thousands and thousands and thousands of people. But quite often Genghis Khan would roll up with his army to a city state and he would go, hey, you guys have a choice. You can be ruled by me and, you know, pay tribute to me and pay your taxes and stuff and we're just going to move on or we can kill everybody. And he meant it. So a lot of people thought it was a trick. They're like, oh, well, he's just looking for us to open the gates. He's going to come in and kill everyone anyways. But it actually turns out most of the time, if you said, Genghis Khan, you're now our leader. Here's your taxes. Uh, have a nice day. He would just move on. And then, yes, he still ruled. He would leave like, troops behind. But they would be like local security forces. They would actually take care of the people. He never asked anyone to change their religion. He never asked anyone to change their traditions. He was just like, you pay taxes to me, you make sure everything's copacetic, and you go live your life the way you have been. It's just you're part of the uh, Khan empire now. If you said no, he just treated you like you said no, and he killed everyone. Genghis Khan, historically, was one of the only, to me, sincerely honest leaders. Uh, Japan, occupied countries, it's been devastating China's occupied countries, it's been devastating. Uh, America, I, I mean, I come from Canada, and you want to say, oh, like Canada has a history of being nice. Canadian troops in Somalia were uh, going around just killing people, and they got in a lot of trouble for that. That kind of stuff doesn't get reported because Canada has a really positive reputation. I don't think there's an occupying nation that does not abuse the local civilians. I think in modern society, it's actually more difficult. Because now we have news media and stuff. So it actually wouldn't happen. When America occupied Japan, I think, was a big shift in how countries treated other countries. And it might even be the last time it happened. Because what America did is they came into Japan. They said, we're going to rebuild this nation. Because if we don't, they're going to just become war, a war people again. They did it, they built it up, they rebuilt the country, the economy got really strong. In the 80s, the Japanese economy was like the biggest in the world for a little while. And it was really successful. And you can see things... Did America occupy Japan? Absolutely, after World War II, they occupied Japan. Uh, But part of their occupation, forces, was to rebuild the country, which was a different and new attitude. Now, they, Japan was self-governing. Uh, one of the things they did, though, is they sat down with the Japanese leaders and the emperor specifically. Because if the emperor hadn't acknowledged the Americans had won the war, a lot of Japanese people wouldn't have given up. The, they wrote the Constitution, and the con- Constitution says Japan as a country is not allowed to have a standing army, which is why currently in 2022 we have the SDF, which is Self-Defense Force. You do not have an army in Japan. You will not find them invading other countries. Now, there are hardline Japanese people who want to change that because they're scared of North Korea and they're a little nervous about China. But I think that that has set Japan on a path to where we are now. I mean, Japan's one case of success. It didn't really work in the Middle East, but I don't think they really did the same thing in the Middle East. They didn't really rebuild. They didn't connect with the people in the same way. This is where the whole hearts and minds idea comes from, with, with the success that Japan is now one of America's strongest allies, where other countries, you know, they occupy, the, In America has occupied other countries in the Middle East and stuff, That they go in, they do stuff, and then they leave. They don't rebuild the country. They don't have a booming economy. They don't have industry. And then the, the country falls apart again. And it costs, it's expensive. That's the problem. But this is the difference between short-term results and long-term results. The long-term results is Japan has the third strongest economy in the, in the world and is one of America's closest allies. That's a good thing. In Iraq, they just rip it apart and left it to Iran. That is correct. And again, that is the short-term problem. They need to. If you want to do it, if you go into a country, you have to commit to that country, which is so expensive that I don't think most countries can actually do it. I want to do blood transfusions. That was all an aside. That might be edited from the podcast. I don't know how coherent that was. But thank you for chatting. I when you came in. I thought you were going to troll me with some like dirty talk and I was going to ban you, but actually giving me stuff to talk about, I really appreciate that. Sorry if I was a bit rude at the start, but basically when I do these podcasts, people drop in, they try to say really awful things, and then I just like, okay, you're not actually contributing, so I I ban them. So I'm, I got to go back to blood transfusions. That was the last thing I want to talk about. So I am B negative, which is relatively rare. And so it'd be very easy for me to get an incorrect blood transfusion. And if you get enough of it, it has significant effects on your body. And I was reading about those effects. Now, some of them are jaundice. Jaundice is actually a thing I had when I was born. When I was born, they actually did like a lube job. They took out all my blood and they put in all new blood and then I lived. If I had been born 20 years earlier, I probably wouldn't exist. I probably would just be have jaundice and died because it just wouldn't have worked out. So that is one of those things where technology has made everything better. Uh, so if you get the incorrect blood transfusion, you can have blood in your urine. That's pretty sensible because it's not being like used by your body. Chest, abdominal, or back pain. That actually sounds like me every day. Nausea uh, happens when I drink too much. Muscle aches, that's again part of me being old. Breathing difficulties, uh, again, getting old. Fever and chills, that doesn't happen to me too much. But this is the one that I think everyone kind of goes, huh? A strong feeling of impending doom. A strong feeling that something bad is about to happen. So can you imagine you get into the hospital and they give you a blood transfusion and then you just have this overwhelmingly ominous feeling that something bad is about to happen. And that is accompanied by physical traits which actually be reinforcing that idea, which is pretty fascinating as a concept, which is actually, I find it kind of terrifying that your blood is telling you emotionally something is wrong so I was thinking about reading about that a little bit more uh, I was also looking thinking about reading about brain injuries a little bit because I've actually had a couple <laughs> not significant ones but when I was in my mid-20s I had I got hit in the head uh, in, a, in judo in a judo fight and uh, I actually had amnesia for about 20 minutes and I've told that story before but I think it was in the old podcast so I might actually do an episode where I retell the whole story um, but it was terrifying but then I've never taken into account, has have I changed? Because I had a friend ask, is there anything you still don't remember? But because I wouldn't remember it, I actually wouldn't know. Like, if I don't remember the first five years of my life, well, then since I don't remember it, I don't know that I don't remember it. So it's a, it's a difficult concept, to sort of like, it, it sends you in circles pretty quickly. It didn't seem significant, but... I have had girlfriends that have talked about how I have very base emotions. I don't have extreme emotions. This is something that every woman I've been with has commented on at some point, that I don't get particularly upset and I don't get particularly happy. So I have like a base bar of emotions and they don't hit extremes like other people do. So I don't get super excited, but I also don't get super bad. But is that because I got smacked in the head? so hard that I lost some emotions oh Mr. Warm Hands was listening in the shower and feeling impending doom I guess my voice in the shower the water trickling down your nether regions and my voice in your ears that could give you a sense of impending doom or you've had a botched blood transfusion so I'm going to stop there because that's been about 30 minutes edit this together again like this was an experiment I'm ran. I I'm, I got to think of a name. I started. I did an episode called Randomitis, Itis, which was just random stuff. Uh, it was almost all from the internet. But I was thinking of cobbling together a theme, and if I had a theme, it would kind of make more sense. I think. Uh, internet Itis, things from the internet. Uh, internet historian. I don't know. So if you have ideas for a title for a random internet-generated content episode, which would be once a month, I would appreciate it. Uh, If you have questions or comments, you can send an email to chunkmcbeefchest at gmail.com. You can send a voice message to speakpipe.com slash chunkmcbeefchest. We are watching on twitch.tv slash chunkmcbeefchest. Basically, if you type in a social platform and stick a chunkmcbeefchest in there, there's a very good chance it's going to be me. Because I've branded myself properly for the first time in my life. And in fact, I'm wearing the merch. (laughs) Oh! They used to keep tortoises on ships because their blood was something you could drink. So you basically just kept the tortoise alive, and then they would kill the tortoise and drink its blood. And then they were so delicious, they never ended up bringing them back to England.